Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Architecture Time, radio for the design-obsessed, hopeless romantics of the built environment. I'm your host, Mike Lavalley from EvolvingArchitect.com. Each and every weekday, we share with you brief stories, news, profiles, and projects from around the net, showcasing not only what the profession of architecture has to offer, but also helping you evolve your own career one episode at a time. Enjoy. Hey, so let's get ready, not to rumble, <laughs> but to talk about the mail that's in the mailroom. So we have three questions today, and I'm going to go over, I don't know, I mean, I we, we only had one question last week, but we have three, three entirely new questions this week, and I want to go over them one by one. And the first question is, do you have to be good at math to be an architect? And... I think this is actually a very common question, especially for people who are not inside the profession. But I, th- I think it comes from the fact that it's assumed that the architects are more engineer-like. I think there are architects who take a lot of that on, but there are also architects who tend to use math maybe more in a programming sense or a in terms of programming spaces and calculating square footages and areas and things like that and financial things, but less about the actual calculations for building. Now, that might be controversial when I say that, but I think in a lot of instances and in a lot of jobs that I've had personally, the firms I've worked at have basically had structural engineers as consultants and they've basically done a lot of the calculations themselves. Now, that doesn't mean you don't know need to know the calculations or need to know how to get to the answers. Uh, it's actually part of what they test you on for your license exam. But I think it's it's more of a, if you're good at math, it'll help you, but it's not necessarily a end-all, be-all prerequisite to be an architect. Um, I know a lot of architects and designers who practice within the profession, but are also very, um, they lean very heavily into their creative side more than they do their technical side. And then there are people on the opposite end who lean more into the building construction and technicalities uh, of the construction itself versus the the more creative, wispy sort of design uh, portion of, of the profession. So I don't think there's really one answer but it's it's an interesting question because I think it comes from a point of view where, well, you're making a building, so you need to calculate a lot of stuff. Would you need to be good at math to be an architect? And I'd say it depends, especially what you're doing, what kind of architecture you're doing. If you're doing something more related to like a skyscraper, then you're probably going to have to be more in tune with the way that the calculations are done and being able to sort of confirm things better because of how rigorous and complicated the structural systems might be. But at the same time, you know, it it depends on who you're, who's on your team in the first place. And I think this, the opposite could be said in some ways of if you're designing houses, there are calculations, but they're not necessarily heavy. It's not like you're, you know, formally doing super high-end calculus equations and and trying to figure out complicated math beyond anything that you would even do in your first year of college. 
So I don't necessarily think that you need to be good at math, but it doesn't hurt. I mean, I personally really like math and I was sort of a math geek in high school and actually ended up taking a math uh, elective in college and almost actually minored in math. Um, I ended up not doing that because I realized what it would take, but I think that math is really important and really, personally, I think it's really fun, but I don't necessarily think it's something that you need to be really good at to be an architect. And the next question, please, what software do you use in your project workflow? Well, this has changed over time, and honestly, it changes depending on whether or not I'm doing my personal projects or whether or not I'm working at the firm I'm working at now. Um, but I would say the most sort of tried and true path of how I start a project, if I was given the choice right now, I would say that I'd use some form of sketching uh, to start with. And I know that's not really a software program, but I'd argue that if you're not sketching and you're not drawing freehand, you're not necessarily letting the initial kind of creative juices flow to some degree. And sketching is a really great way to find the unexpected. So I would say start with sketching. Whether It doesn't have to be analog. It could be digital still, like on an iPad. Um, I actually use my iPad Pro a lot for sketching because it has a wide enough surface to, to sketch, and I have the Apple Pencil, and I'm good to go. So I can sketch sort of whatever I want, um, and that's sort of the first step. So the next step is to put it into some sort of two-dimensional... Uh, well, I guess there's two paths. One is e either in a two-dimensional sort of AutoCAD sort of computer-aided drafting format and take the sketches and put a little bit more of a two-dimensional area to it so that you're at least working with real sizes. Um, the alternative would actually be to start in SketchUp or a simple 3D modeling program like that that's really straightforward, allows you to create very simple geometry and very quickly iterate. Um, the one reason why I really love SketchUp uh, to the point where I teach a course on it is that it's very straightforward and you could pick it up in basically a day. Um, now, to do it properly, you would need some sort of training or some sort of um, assistance because there are a lot of nuances that really would help you go further faster, especially in an architecture firm. But basically, you can go from zero to, you know, 50% on your own very quickly. And once you have a, a sort of a simple massing, you could bring it into another program like Rhino or Revit or 3ds Max or anything really. And that would be sort of the next step, I'd say, is actually bringing it into something that you can experiment and play around with in a more technical setting so that you are, now you're in a, a realm of, okay, this has to be built, this has to be real, so what are we going to do now? And you're adding thicknesses to walls, they might still be fairly generic, but you're, you're, creating and establishing a rule set and a set of parameters for the type of construction that you can do and the types of systems, whether you know, you're know you using columns or you're using uh, bearing walls or you're using whatever kind of system you want, whatever kind of materials you want, you're bringing 
real-world logic systems into play. And then the last sort of setup would be um, whether you're going into um, construction documents or you're going into renderings, I guess it depends on how far you're really taking the project, is you can either use internal um, sort of plugins like V-Ray or things that you can, you know, export the program or the model to entirely and and work with it there. So, you know, if you were working in Revit, for example, and you didn't want to use the internal renderer and you didn't want to use a plugin, you could send that file to 3ds Max and use more of the um, higher end rendering uh, components in that software to really let your project shine. And there's you know, today it's different than it was even 10 years ago. There are so many plugins and so many gadgets and and quirky new programs that it, there's so many choices that it's almost a little bit overwhelming. But I would say that's generally my workflow. I'd start with sketching, put it into either a two, simple 2D program like AutoCAD or a simple straightforward 3D program like SketchUp, then bring it into something like Revit where I'm going to actually do more drafting and, and modeling of a real world scenario. And then from there, whether or not you're doing construction documents, you could still keep it in Revit or you could export it into another 3D program or render it internally in in Revit. And you have kind of a full package there. So there's not too many programs that you really need to practice architecture in terms of the the actual design portion and, and the drawing and drafting portion. But that might give you a sense of sort of what at least one architect does. And the last question, what is something you deal with on a regular basis as an architect? It's it's funny. I, I have a couple different answers, but I think the one thing that is sort of the through line is I deal with people on a regular basis. And it might not seem that way, especially from somebody who's not working directly in the profession. But like most jobs, you're usually working with or for or on behalf of other people. You know, I'm working with clients every day. I'm working with uh, my team every day. You know, I I manage people and I have people above me who rely on me to do certain things. And one of the things that I think is a very important skill to learn very quickly is being able to communicate well and negotiate with all of the different types of people that you'll encounter. I mean, you might have somebody who is your supervisor who is one type of person and then have another supervisor who you know, work with maybe a year from now and they'll be a completely different type of person. Same role, same level of supervision over you, but you are working with personalities and types of people, not just the roles that they're in. And that goes the same way, you know, on the opposite end. If you have people that you're are working with you or for you to help you get the job done, you know, one person might have a very specific skill set, be able to render really quickly in Photoshop, but not really know how to put a building together. And somebody might be coming from a construction trade where they know a lot more about the building of stuff, but they don't have a good sense of either uh, high design quality, or they don't have the sensibility yet to at least take f- something from the conceptual level and put it into reality. You know, I think one of the issues is that 
because there are so many different personality types, every time you meet a new person or you work with a new person, you start to create this library of archetypes almost of people that you meet, people that you understand. And as you move through your career, the thing that I've noticed is that I take those sort of, um, those people impact me, I guess. And I, I take those experiences with me so that I know how to better help and serve the people around me as I move through my own career. And that's helped me out a lot, you know, being able to say, okay, well, this person is a little bit like this other person that I used to work with, and this has worked well with in that scenario, and this has worked well in this scenario. And you start there as sort of a base point. And as you, the audience, know, um, everyone is unique, and everyone has different backgrounds. You know, there's no possible way that you would have exactly the same identity as anybody else, because even if you have a similar um, upbringing, you didn't have exactly the same experiences and you have a lot of different issues and you have a lot of different things going on in your life and you have a lot of different interests than somebody who might have had almost the exact same life across the street. So I take that into account and I have try to bring a lot of empathy to everyone that I meet so that there is a, let's say, an understanding of respect really is what it comes down to an understanding of respect between myself and the other person so that we can have a very good working relationship. And even when you encounter people who don't work well with you, that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It just means that you have to work a little bit harder or refine the way that you're working with that person to try to make the best of it. And that's something that I deal with on a regular basis is I am constantly working with new unique people and it's, It's given me some really great experiences. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Architecture Time. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast, leaving a review, and sharing it with someone you know. It would mean the absolute world to me and would really, really help the podcast grow. For more Architecture Time and other fun, informative content related to architecture and the profession, please visit evolvingarchitect.com. Thanks for being awesome, and we'll see you next time.